Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Catfish Corner. I'm John Garcia. Joining with me is Adam Vingen. How's it going, man? Well, it's a busy day here in Nashville, Predators-wise. The Predators, we're recording this. It's 1 o'clock Central. Within the past 10 minutes, they formally announced the signing of Ellie Tolvanen. Though Huge news. We knew that already because he was on the ice this morning. At uh, 10.30, he participated in the Predators' morning skate. A number 11 appeared out of the locker room. And, and for it was, a second, it was it, not the ghost of David Legwand. It was not the ghost of David Legwand or Reed Boucher or P.A. Parento. Uh, it was Ellie Tolvanen, who will wear number 11 for the Predators, and he will not make his debut Thursday against the San Jose Sharks. That has been confirmed by Predators coach Peter Laviolette, but it looks quite good for him to make his debut this weekend. The Predators have back-to-back games Saturday at home against the Buffalo Sabres, Sunday in a prime time matchup against the Tampa Bay Lightning in Tampa. Um, actually, it's a matinee matchup, but you know what I mean. It's a marquee matchup. It's one that everyone's going to yes, watch. Yes, between the Predators and Lightning. So I would anticipate Ellie making his Predators debut Saturday against Buffalo. They have a scheduled practice Friday at Centennial Sportsplex. Give him the opportunity to watch a game tonight, get a couple of uh, get some practice time underneath him, and potentially make his debut this weekend. But I would expect you to see. Ellie Tolvin in a Predator sweater at some point this weekend. Yeah, and I think if it is the Buffalo Sabres where he gets his debut, I think that's a perfect team for him to get his feet wet because, you know, they're out of the mix for a playoff spot. They've got a lot of young kids on their roster as well, so it would be good for him to get used to that NHL experience and that NHL mode of skating while also going against a team that's yeah barely an NHL team. We were talking about this uh, recently, and I wrote it in my story that was in uh, online yesterday in today's print edition. The Predators have six games remaining as of now, uh, including the game against the Sharks on Thursday. Five of those six games are against teams that are either in playoff position or are just past the cutoff line, um, Florida, just underneath right? the cutoff line. The Panthers had a big loss last night in regulation to the yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs, which may put a hurtin on their playoff uh, potential, but very much still in the race. The only team that they're playing that's been eliminated from playoff contention are the Buffalo Sabres, who they are playing on Saturday, to your point, John. So I think that would be a good opportunity for him to make that debut uh, as opposed to playing his first game on the road in the second half of a back-to-back with a tired team against the team that you're fighting for the President's Trophy with, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So it makes all the sense for it to happen on Saturday. Yeah, especially because, as you've mentioned countless times on this podcast in print and on Twitter and probably everywhere else that words, you know, come from you, (laughs) um, you're not looking for him to uh, set the world on fire. You're not looking for him to score 10 goals in the last six games or anything like that. You know, um, at least recent history tells us that he looks like he's going to be a very, very good player now and in the future. But as long as he's skating hard, getting that confidence in there, getting pucks onto the net and really doing all the little things away from the puck that you want him to do, that's really the most important part right now. And I think that a game against the Sabres will help do that. I agree. And and this is what Peter Laviolette said yesterday, included in my story on L.A. Tolvin and signing his contract, which you can read now on Tennessean.com. Quote, he had a really good year in the KHL. I watched him play a lot in the Olympics. I thought he was excellent. What he did in the playoffs in the KHL is incredible for such a young kid. But now he's a young kid coming to the National Hockey League, the best league in the world with the best players in the world. We hope it's a seamless transition, but you never know. Sometimes it isn't with young kids. We've got lots of time. He doesn't have to come in here and carry a team or carry the load. 
That's the important thing. I talked to David Poyle this morning uh, and asked him specifically where he thought he would be deployed, Ellie Tolvanen. And while well, certainly defer to, uh, David deferred to Peter uh, in terms of where he will be slotted in, it certainly sounds like he's going to be put in an offensive role. This is, where, this is what David said. Quote, he's an offensive player, so he's got a trend towards the top two lines, which maybe if you get him in the lineup, maybe you could actually say you have three offensive lines. I'm not against that. He's not a fourth line player or a checker. He's an offensive player. Arguably with his success, he should get some time on the power play. It's probably not how much he plays. It's just where he plays. So let me ask you about that real quick, because if he is thinking and, you know, maybe Peter Laviolette's thinking that he's going to fit on one of those top two lines, is that something that they're comfortable breaking up that offense? It's a good question. If you were to look at statistical models, for example, Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Victor Arvidsson, they're a great line together. But when you separate them, their production in terms of generating scoring chances, controlling puck possession, scoring, etc., drops. Kevin Fiala, Kyle Turris, and Craig Smith have been a great line since Kyle showed up in early November. So really, in that, in that particular case, um, I, I personally wouldn't touch either of those lines. I don't think... The, I don't think adding Ellie to one of those lines would make them worse. I think they would make him better. I mean, I think he would certainly fit in with Kyle Turris or Ryan Johansson as his center. I'm not sure I personally would touch those top two lines just based on how you have a long track record of success with those two lines. Philip, Ryan, and Victor extending to this, to, excuse me, extending to last season, right. and Kyle, Kevin, and Craig for the past five months or so. Personally, I think a great opening line for Ellie Tolvanen would be on a line with Ryan Hartman and Nick Bonino. Uh, we saw in the Stanley Cup playoffs a couple of years ago when the Penguins won their first of two consecutive Stanley Cups that Nick Bonino, Phil Kessel, and Carl Hagelin, uh, the HBK, HBK line, line yep. yes, the HBK line was was one of the most impactful lines for that team in the Stanley Cup playoffs leading to their first of two championships in a row. Um, I could see, of course, Benino would be the common denominator, but Ellie Tolvanen in some capacity, you know, fits the Phil Kessel mode. They're both pure scorers, pure snipers who can make a lot of things out of nothing. And Ryan Hartman is a, a gritty player who can get to the front of the net and balance out that skill with his own with his own brand of hockey. So I do think that the line of the three of them personally would be quite potent. Um, and it would also present matchup nightmares for opposing teams because are you going to put your top defensive pairing against Ryan Johansson's line or Kyle Turris's line? Or if you're going to have to watch somebody uh, have somebody play against Ellie Tolvanen's line. And I think that will actually work to Ellie's benefit if that were to be the case because most likely the assignments that they will be receiving in terms of lines that are being matched up against them in defensive pairs won't be the top line, top shutdown line or top defensive pair. They may be a third or fourth line or a second or second or third defensive pair, which will actually help him because he won't be faced with the toughest assignments. So personally, that's where I think he should fit. I, I imagine that the Predators are going to uh, you know, play it uh, conservatively. You know, think about at the beginning of the season when Sam Girard made the roster. I believe he played in five games before the Predators traded him as part of the package that ultimately brought Kyle Turris to uh, Nashville, even though uh, Sam went to Colorado. 
Uh, he had only played in five games and he wasn't playing in every game. And that was the plan. Like they went into the season when he made the roster telling him you're not going to play in every game. And they found pockets where they could push him into the lineup. I think that's what they're going to do with Ellie. I don't think they have to do it as much because Sam Gerard was a, you know, a teenager coming out of junior versus Ellie Tolvanen, who is a teenager coming out of two seasons in the U.S. Hockey League, the United States Hockey League, a year in the KHL, a, you know, a couple of weeks with the Olympic team. You know, this is not an average 18-year-old we're talking about. He has the experience and professional-like experience. So I don't think they have to treat him, no pun intended, with kid gloves as opposed to other players in the past. Yeah, and it's going to be really exciting because other than the game against Tampa Bay, which you were mentioning, they're in direct competition for the top spot in the league and home ice throughout all of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, you want to win all the rest of your games, but it's not like most of those have tons of playoff implications. A lot of the playoff destiny will hang in the balance of like what Winnipeg does and what the Wild do, and the Predators are still in a very good position right now even if those teams are winning. So I think it's great that they have, you know, five, six games, depending on when they put them in, to just kind of move stuff around, see how it goes, because who knows, maybe something clicks after the first or second game, and that's what they ride into the playoffs. Maybe something doesn't, and they can have at least a little bit of time to figure it out before them. Right, and the thing about Winnipeg, which works to the Jets' benefit, is that of their six remaining games, They're five against, are against teams that yeah. have been eliminated from playoff contention. I believe they have, I believe they have two against Chicago, one against Calgary, one against Ottawa, and one against Montreal. The only team that they're playing that's in a playoff position, and it's going to be a tough test for them. I believe they travel to Toronto at one point in the next six games and play at the Maple Leafs. So that's the only team they're playing that really has anything left to play for. The other teams are just, you know, riding out the rest of the season. So, you know, I talked to the players about that yesterday, Ryan Johansson, Mike Fisher. um, They both said that it's good that they're having to face this competition because in previous years, teams in the Predators position haven't haven't had much to play for. Think about Chicago last year. You know, I can't remember the exact time frame, but they at least had a week, if not more, of the regular season where they had won the Central, they had clinched the number one spot in the Western Conference, they were just waiting for the playoffs to start. And I'm not saying that that ultimately led to them getting swept by Nashville in the first round of the playoffs, but I do believe that it may have hindered them in some capacity. I think the fact that the Predators are playing tough tough teams, and Ryan Johansson said as much, is that we're going to get every team's best because they're still playing for stuff. San Jose, for example... You know, they've won, they just recently won, I believe, eight games in a row. They're not out of potentially winning the Pacific Division, if I'm not mistaken. And they want to have that second spot at least. Vegas is in first. But they want to have that second spot at least because Anaheim and L.A. are flip-flopping in that third spot almost every day. And you want to have home ice advantage against at least whatever, at least one of those teams, whoever you end up playing in the in the first round. Washington is in a position to clinch the Metropolitan Division. Um, but you know they want to better their position because the Metro is stacked. I mean, Columbus recently won 10 games in a row. They're looking to better their position. That's the last game of the season for the Predators, a home date next Saturday against Columbus. You know, Florida, as we mentioned, took a hit uh, by losing to Toronto, but they're still in it. They're three points out of the final spot, but they have a game in hand on New Jersey, who's in eighth place. So it, that is very much still in play for them as well. Um, so a lot for these te- remaining teams to play for, and they're going to give the Predators their best shot, which they were going to get anyway because they're the best team in the league. But with that much to play for, the Predators can't afford 
you know, to think, oh, you know, we'll just put it in neutral now and just coast to the playoffs. They can't do that. Right. They don't, they still have, they still haven't clinched a central division title. They still haven't clinched the Western conference. They still haven't clinched the president's trophy. The, all they've clinched so far is a playoff spot, which they did two weeks ago and first round home ice advantage. They want more than that. So they, they, they have no opportunity to rest in terms of just, you know, playing out the string for lack of a better term in the last week and a half of the season. For sure. And I think that if they get through this stretch with a winning record, it'll go a long way to maybe easing some of the fan anxiety, which I thought was completely overblown. Well, to that's begin what with I anyway. wrote in my story yeah. yesterday is that it's funny because my, the lead of my story was be honest. You were panicking and yeah. you get, and you get, I would get certain reactions from certain uh, fans who were reading, Oh, they would say I wasn't panicking, but I was frustrated or I was annoyed or I was nervous. And that's what it was is that you don't want a team you know, to play its worst hockey down the stretch. Remember three years ago, which uh, which some Predators fans blamed me for as I arrived in Nashville at the same time. Oh, yeah. They were in position to win the President's Trophy and then had a, I believe they were 6-12-3 down the stretch. Um, lost the Central Division, um, lost the President's Trophy, uh, you know, gave Chicago a six-round series, but they, they, they stumbled into the playoffs. No team wants to do that. I think the important thing for fans to realize and the, and is that the players recognized that even in the latter stages of their point streak, they weren't playing that well. Mm-mm. I don't believe they sh- like you look at the the last you look at the last road game of that recent trip. Well, actually, it was two trips ago now um, against Buffalo. They won four nothing. That score was definitely not indicative of that game. Buffalo played, I think, a much better overall game than Nashville but weren't able to score because Pecorine was Pecorine. Uh, even the game before that, a couple games before that, against Arizona in Glendale, not a great game from them. I think they realized that the way they were playing, the losses were going to show up eventually, and they did. You know, they did not play a good game at all against Toronto. I don't think, they, I don't think there was a period of time in that game where they were good at all. Um, in, in Minnesota, uh, they had a good first period, then disappeared, disappeared in the second and third periods. Um, Winnipeg, yes, they had a lead of one nothing, three one and four three, but they were playing the second half of a back to back against a rested team um, with a backup goaltender. Even though UC Soros has been really good in the second half of back to backs this year, and they were able to salvage a point, they were pleased with that effort. And I think the game against Minnesota at home was more of a return to form for them in some aspects. Their power play is still dreadful this month. I think it's one of the worst in the league, if not the worst in the league, in the month of March. So there's still work to be done. But they, but they weren't delusional. I think that's important for fans to know is that they weren't reading their own press, even though I was certainly pumping their tires at certain points. But they, uh, but they recognized that they're fixing it, and that's what the next six games are for, are, are for, to make sure that they're in the right frame of mind when the playoffs start in about two weeks. Yeah, and through most of that stretch, other than towards the end, they deserve to get their tires pumped a little bit, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. um, but before we transition into talking about the game coming up tonight against the San Jose Sharks, you wanted to have a discussion um, that I think is a, a fun one about what the MVP really means yes. and who should get it. Because right. And USA Today, we were talking about this earlier today, they, USA Today had an article on that point where Connor McDavid should not win the Hart Trophy this year. He's uh, the top getting point scorer right now yes. in the NHL, over 100 points, but his team is terrible. He and let's give some credit to Leon Dreisaitl are the really the only two good points about that team so far this year. What does the MVP mean to you and how is it written in the NHL and who do you think should win it? You had this conversation with Joe Rexer a little yes. bit. I'll chime in about that with some of my thoughts and agreements, but sure. what are your thoughts? 
Well, if you look at the actual definition for the heart trophy, and I'm going to pull it up here just to make sure that I read it correctly. I, I be- have it. You have it. I believe I it's it. to be the player who's judged most value most valuable to his team. That is correct. So it's it's a con- it's a conversation that happens throughout sport, and it's not just the NHL; it's in other sports too. My personal opinion, and, and you know, full disclosure that I that I am a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association, which votes on the awards. And, you know, I, I I expect to have a ballot this uh, this uh, spring. It's a regular season award. We vote on the awards before the playoffs start. So, I personally believe that to be judged valuable to your team. You have to be able to. You have to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That, that's my personal opinion. Everybody's opinion is different, and you will see that when the voting comes out. You know, we at the PHWA within the past couple of weeks, we held a vote where we uh, where we overwhelmingly voted for releasing our ballots at once the once the NHL awards are over which is in June. Which you guys do just about every year, right? So, Or is it, has it well, been just the original, like, certain writers? Well, in the past, you know, a lot of writers have taken the opportunity to write a story after the awards. It used to happen before the awards, but I think the NHL prefers us not to do that because they don't want us to spoil the awards. So after the awards, a lot of times, and I've done this in the past, you know, I've written a story, including my ballot for each award that we vote for, which includes the heart, which is MVP, the Selkie, best defensive forward, Norris, best defenseman, Calder, rookie of the year, Lady Bing, you know, sportsmanship, which is sort of a nebulous thing, um, et cetera. Um, you know, for those Pekka, hashtag Pekka for Vezina readers out there, writers do not vote on the Vezina trophy. That's the general manager. You so, want that very clear right yes. now. So, so please send your hashtag Pekka for Vezina to David, David Boyle. Boyle. Yeah, you're going to get him anyway. Yes. So and I believe he should win that award, and I've been on the record many times in saying that. But it was not a requirement of the PHWA to be transparent. If you wanted to release your ballot, go right ahead. But there was no there was no rule specifically stating that it had to happen. Similar to what baseball writers do. Um, once the if my if my understanding of this is correct, once the awards are over, the PHWA will release the ballots of every voting member of the organization. So you can look up my ballot and because you've usually, you vote for five players for each award and each player gets a first place vote, second place vote, et cetera, that have point totals attached to it. And the player who accumulates the most points wins. Um, You know, you will be able to, it will be released whether I like it or not. And personally, I voted for transparency. I wanted my ballot to be out there. So I am okay with that. I I, I supported that. Every writer's ballot who will be voting for an award will be available to the public, whether they like it or not. Um, The the conversation that is happening now mostly relates to Connor McDavid, which you mentioned before I went on my soliloquy. He should win the MOP, Most Outstanding Player Award, which is voted on by the, the players. players. Yeah, um, he will should win the R Ross Trophy, which just automatically goes to the player who has the most points at the end of the season. I personally am unconvinced at this moment, right now, that he will be on my ballot at all. I don't think he is going to get a top five vote from me. Interesting, and and. That can change. I mean, EJ yeah, Rad. EJ. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, especially because um, that, that's interesting that you say that. Not to. I'm not saying that I don't uh, that I disagree with you or anything, but it's just so interesting to hear, especially after the past years where you know someone won the art. I think Sidney Crosby won the Art Ross with like 88 points or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, we we started to go a few years without players getting into like the 90s and the triple digits and everything like that. So to see a player do that and then not even be considered for it is is interesting in my point. 
point. Well, I think I think that's something that I'm going to have to wrestle with. And what I was saying before was EJ Raddick of NHL Network tweeted out a couple of days ago, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he didn't believe Connor to be an MVP candidate. And he said that he would change his mind if Connor, you know, to paraphrase, would lap the field. Mm-hmm. I think in, in terms of goal scoring, points, everything like that, if Connor is leaps and bounds above everybody else in each category, then he would get a vote. I may change my mind. I mean, I haven't really thought about it. I haven't thought about it deeply enough that I've written down my top five as of right now. Yeah, but I also like that because uh, it seemed almost a foregone conclusion that, oh, if someone wins the Art Ross Trophy and you know leads their team to the playoffs, they're going to win the Hart too. Right. I think that having a little bit of intrigue and mystery and a non-committal decision from anyone right now, if you're saying that you have to wrestle with this decision, I think that that's, that's great because that means that several people are having very good years yes. and that's better for the sport. Right. I think there are so many good MVP candidates this year. Personally, as of this very moment, I mean, as I mentioned just now, I don't really have a solidified top five. It is fluid. My number one vote will be going to Nathan McKinnon at this very point because the Avalanche were among the worst teams in NHL history last year in an 82-game season. They had 48 points in 82 games. This year, they look primed to make the playoffs for the first time in a few years, and McKinnon has been fabulous. Um, He is, I believe, to be the definition of an MVP. He is the player who's been most valuable to them, and they've nearly doubled their point total from last year. Nobody expected that from them this year. Um, if, If they make the... Here's the other thing that comes into mind that I think some people have qualms about if a player makes the if a team misses the playoffs should that hurt a player's mvp candidacy if the avalanche missed the playoffs by one point should should nathan mckinnon not be an mvp and that's exactly what i was going to ask you if if taylor hall who would also be maybe number two on my ballot if the devils don't make the playoffs should he be penalized for that I wouldn't go as far as to saying, well, if Nathan McKinnon does, if the Avalanche don't make the playoffs, Nathan McKinnon's not on my ballot at all. But I, I certainly think that making the playoffs helps a team's case. In my in my case against Connor McDavid, as of right now, he's had another tremendous season, and he's going to have these seasons pretty much every year as long as he stays healthy. It, if the if the Oilers were still very much in the mix for a playoff spot, I, I would probably have him in my top five. They've been out of it for months. Yeah. Like this is not, this is not, oh, they, they were, you know, they've been eliminated recently from playoff contention, but they've virtually been out of it for months. So despite the fact that he's having this tremendous season, it hasn't been enough to drag his team to a playoff spot. That's why I'm hesitant to give him a vote. That may change, as I mentioned, but that's my reasoning behind it is if, if he was having this season and the Oilers missed the playoffs by two points, it wouldn't be as much of an issue. It's the fact that his team is so far out of it and has been far out of it for months. We, we've known probably since the All-Star break, if not earlier, that the Oilers were going to miss the playoffs. So it's hard to judge a player most valuable to his team when he isn't able to drag his team into the postseason, despite the fact that they're having you know regression in multiple areas by multiple players. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing. I mean, there are years when um, Lundqvist was considered for the heart where he was physically dragging his team into the playoffs off off of his play, which I think is what you have to do in order to be considered most valuable to your team. It's not necessarily who's the best person on your team or who's the best person in the NHL because, yes, as you said, Connor McDavid is one of the best players in the NHL, and he's going to be staying like that for a very long time. But just because you are really, really good – 
does not mean that you're automatically the best player in the league. And think about some of the other players that we haven't mentioned. Sidney Crosby, Sydney Alex Crosby, Ovechkin, Alex Ovechkin uh, Claude Giroux, Ovechkin, Claude Giroux, Andre Kopitar. There are a lot of players. It's going to be a very tough decision for me. You know, it doesn't just go down to points and where the team finishes. You have to dig into other things, too. You know, think about Kopitar, for example. You know, I think he may be – I think he may lead forwards in total ice time this year. He's had a fantastic season. He's very responsible offen- very responsible defensively. You know, he probably – he may win the Selkie, either he or Patrice Bergeron, who often wins the Selkie. But, um, you know, he deserves Hart Trophy candidacy uh, consideration as well. It's going to be a really tough decision. I mean, the other – the topic we've always talked about on this podcast for the last several weeks is whether Pecorino deserves MVP consideration. That's and- another thing you have to think about too. Um, so there's a lot to think about. And, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably at some point – just open my Twitter feed to suggestions. I'm, I may not, I'm not going to base my ballot on what, uh, what readers necessarily think. Uh, but I would love, I would love input on who they believe to be the most, uh, valuable player. And I talked to Ryan Hartman about this over the weekend when the team was in Minnesota, cause I was curious for a player's take on this, on this debate. And Ryan led and leaned towards the best player overall, not necessarily the one valuable to his team. Mm-hmm. So, but he agreed with he agreed with me when I told him that I plan on voting McKinnon at the time, at this time, and at that time as my MVP uh, number one vote. He thought that was reasonable, um, having played against Nathan both in Chicago and Nashville this season. So, it's it's interesting. He definitely should be the most outstanding player among his peers, but not convinced he should be an MVP candidate. So coming up soon on Adam Vingan's Twitter, he's going to be the meme with the guy sitting at the table that says, Nathan McKinnon for heart, change my mind. <laughs> I'm not familiar with that meme. I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you later. I'm only familiar with gifts. I'm not a, I'm not a big meme guy. I'm more of a gif guy. Your gif game is pretty strong, I'm Simpsons, so I'm not— I'm yeah. a Simpsons gif guy, but like there are certain gifts that you see on Twitter where— I've, we've got to retire some of them. Like uh, the Kermit the Frog clapping gif where he's like flailing around— that one needs to go. And I don't know where this one comes from. I'm sure you've seen it. The one of like the blonde guy with the weird blinking. Like, he, yeah, yeah, that I, that was recent, though. OK, but it's it's been used a lot. Yeah, it's been I'm not used sure where that's recently. coming from. We got to retire there. There should be a statue of limitations to the number of times someone can use a gift or just like a like a retired jersey number. Like, yes, yes this gift was great at one point, but you're not like gonna the, use Kermit the frog again. sipping the iced tea or lemonade or whatever it is like ra- raise that gift to the banner, you know, to the gift hall of fame and just retire it. Never can be used again. Then again, I regularly use the same Simpsons gifts, but I feel like there should not be a statute of limitations on that. Yeah, that's true. So I twenty will, seasons I, worth. I'll talk stuff. to my people on the internet and uh, get okay. them to get us on the committee to uh, re- do the gift hall of fame. Yes. Um, so coming up tonight, we're recording this on Thursday. The Predators play the San Jose Sharks. Yes. The Sharks can clinch a playoff spot if they win tonight. Yes. Um, which should mean that they're going to be very hungry to get into that because they are still jockeying for position as well. And Evander Kane has been unbelievable for them. Yeah. He had a four-goal game in, at some point in his, uh, in his time in San Jose. He's been a great fit for them. It was interesting at the trade deadline when uh, the Buffalo general manager, Jason Byrell, essentially came out and said, we only had really one good legitimate offer. And obviously it came from San Jose because that was who made the transaction. But you know, San Jose seemed like a great fit for Evander Kane just because of the, the the experience and leadership in that room between Joe Pavelski and Brent Burns and Joe Thornton, even though Joe is injured, um, and Logan Couture, um, Mark, Mark Edward Vlasic, um, et cetera. Um, good group there. Um, he's fit in seamlessly. Should be a good game. 
Uh, as I mentioned, they're not out of the race for Pacific Division title. I mean, Vegas is very much if Vegas is is still in position. They control their destiny, as we like to say around this time of the year. But San Jose is right there. Yeah, and uh, I think when you're watching this game, if you're rooting for the Predators. You should be more focused with the process, I think, rather than than the final score. Yes, you are going to want them to win, and yes, they should win. If they get into another game where it's close and they're doing all the right things, that's that's what you want to see, especially recently. You don't want to see them get to a big lead and then cough up the lead and then have it go to overtime or right. something with uh, like when they played Toronto. All of a sudden, you're you're not in that game ever. I think as long as they're in that game. That should be good for Predators fans because that is what you're more concerned about this time of year. I agree. Uh, it goes back to our, our, our first talking point. You know, right now, of course, you want the points because you want to get you want to get the Central Division, you want to get the Western Conference, you want to get the President's Trophy. You know, but I agree. I think now is more making sure that your game is set, even if that means you lose two one in a shootout or two one in overtime or three two in regulation. As long as you play a good game. I think you're okay. Um, and that's what you saw out of them against the Wild on Tuesday and, and something that they had gotten away from in the previous games at Minnesota, at Buffalo, against Toronto at home. So if they can if they can play, the players were you know unequivocal in saying that the game they played against Minnesota the other night was their best game in a long time. So if they can build off of that um, and continue to do so against tough competition down the stretch, that's a good sign come playoff time. Yeah, I, I always think uh, that when you get down to single-digit games remaining, you've clinched a playoff spot or you're going to clinch a playoff spot where the playoffs are more or less a foregone conclusion. Which they have been for, predator, for the Predators for two weeks. Exactly. These are the last nine games are the sharpen your blade games. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, you want to make sure that you've got everything stocked, ready to go, because it's easy to forget. The Predators have one hundred nine points. They are an incredible team. Yes, it would be great for them to win the president's trophy. But if they don't, it's not going to be the end of the world. We're more focused on what happens in April, May and June. And these are the games to do that. Yes, I agree. Um, and should be, fun, you know, it should be an interesting road trip next week. Three good teams they're playing. That game in Tampa looms large. Uh, I imagine it'll be a Vezina showdown between Pecorino and Andre Vasilevsky. You know, the Tampa Bay Lightning, I believe, started Thursday three points back of Nashville in the race for the President's Trophy. The Predators can probably put that away um, if they can win that game as well as the other two, or at least collect points in the, uh, the two previous ones against San Jose tonight and Buffalo on Saturday. Um, and that would be great for them because, you know, those are two things they've never done before. We talked about how um, novel everything was last year, uh, winning, you know, winning a, uh, getting out of the second round uh, for the first time, winning the Western Conference final, getting to the Stanley Cup final, but they've never won a division title. They've never won a President's Trophy, though they've come close to doing both a couple of times. A victory against the Sharks tonight, by the way, would make the, this Predators team the best in franchise history. They would have 111 points, overtaking the 2006 17 that had 110. So another um, another potential milestone in the workings tonight at Bridgestone Arena. And whatever happens tonight, tomorrow, next week, we will be here to talk about it. Thank you, Adam, very much for coming on and chatting as always. Of course, John. Thanks for having me. No problem. You can follow Adam at Adam Vingen. Uh, You can follow me at jgarcia36. And we will see you guys next week. 